Hi, this is Mandy Griffin. And I'm Katie Swalwell. And welcome to Our Dirty Laundry. Stories of white ladies making a mess of things. And how we need to clean up our act. Welcome, everyone, to Our Dirty Laundry. I'm Mandy. I'm Katie. Hi. And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) You've come to the podcast where two childhood friends who are white, cis, straight, upper middle class, able-bodied women, um, we talk about the history and current events of our community and how shitty we are generally speaking, and Mm -hmm. like how we need to do better, how we can do better, how few and far between there are examples of our community doing better. So we are here to learn about history so we don't repeat it, even though current events says that we do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, my gosh. There's so much of this stuff. Okay. You're going to love this. I'm slightly out of breath because I just (laughs) ran. (sighs) Oh, like you went for a run? I did. I went for a run and I just got back. I'm like, we were just talking about how we're afraid we're always missing something. And that's because our lives are like calendared down to the five minute increments. Mm, that's <laughs> All so the true. Stuff we're trying to get done. I'm out of breath from my running, but you will be out of breath from parts of this <gasps> learning today because, because I'm going to be so mad. Some bullshittery. It will not. It's one of those things where it's like, of course, this is not surprising, but this is the same fucking bullshit over and over and over again. And it just keeps happening and it's still happening. And it's so maddening. Oh my gosh. You're going to love it. You're going to love I it. I can't so, wait. Okay. Give us like the quick recap of last time because if people, right. we don't need people to listen to every single episode ever, but last time you did talk about how the Equal Rights Amendment got started, where that idea came from, how its deep connections to the suffragist movement, which we know is already deeply problematic in terms of oh, race yeah. and class and um, that that's never a good sign when that group yep. of women had like their next idea, probably not going to be intersectional either. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Like the sequel. so this is, yeah, this is the second episode about the Equal Rights Amendment. And I thought we'd get it done today, but I think this may be a shorter episode because I want to save the third part for another episode because it's oh, too much God. to put all into this okay. part. So we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. But it just depends. I always think things are going to be shorter and then like an hour. Yeah. Later, and then I always like, run my oh, mouth no. and that's why that's why they get long because <laughs> I'm always like, let me tell you but what right. I think about this. <laughs> oh, There's so many rabbit holes in this one. Like I just kept clicking on links and links and links and then being like, oh, wait, now I'm clear down this other thing. It has nothing to do with the ERA. Let's go back. So there are so feel, many things we could do other episodes about and we should like, oh, I need we to put it in a file of things to do. Uh, we, we have, um, I don't know whether we should call her our social media intern or our saving grace, <laughs> but yeah. my cousin Gwen is amazing and she's been helping us. And maybe that's something we should ask Gwen, like keep a list of all the things that we want to put a pin in to look into later. Like that would, you know, that would just be helpful yeah. because everything is connected. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. All of the mm-hmm. ways there was a show way back in the day. It was probably like a PBS show I watched as a super nerdy high school student. And I, <laughs> I think it was called connections. And all I remember is this like kind of pacey white British dude who sort of looked like doc from back to the future, who was like, this is how walruses are connected to world war two and the invention of the internet. <laughs> And then made all of these like wild connections that you're like, no way, that's amazing. So that's how I feel like we're immersed in this is like, oh, these rabbit holes take you really interesting places that are actually important. They're not just trivial tangents. No, not at all. I mean, there's so many things that are so connected. It just like blows my mind to learn about some of this stuff. So great. Okay. Get ready. So where we left off the last time is we talked about the ERA. Um, and how it came to be. We talked about Alice Paul um, and her background and then introducing the ERA. And then where we left off, we were talking about how it had been introduced in Congress every year from like the 1920s through the 1960s. And most of the time it mm-hmm. died in committee, never came out for a vote. A couple of times it came out, they had stuff attached to it. It didn't get passed. The one time it got 
over like the 50%, it didn't reach the two thirds minor or majority that's needed because it's an, a, a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. So it's just going through this cycle over and over and over again. And the other thing we talked about was the opposing forces to the ERA being maybe not what we would have thought about initially. So it wasn't just social conservatives who were Mm -hmm. against women being called equal. It was more of like a labor rights um, campaign at Mm -hmm. that point and protecting um, special provisions that had been won for women in some of like the labor rights campaigns. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're at. We talked, we ended by talking about President Kennedy's President's Commission on the Status of Women in the early 1960s, which Eleanor Roosevelt was the chair of for like two years before she died. Mm -hmm. Um, And the committee was composed mostly of anti-ERA feminists. So these was women who consider themselves feminists, but were against the ERA because of their ties to labor. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I actually went and looked up the list of people who were on this committee. It's a huge list. And there are a lot of women, but it's about half women and half men, really, mm-hmm. which I'm like, this half men I on mean, the commission on the status of women. I don't know. How, this is how cynical I am, but I'm like, well, that's pretty good because I'm picturing that <laughs> terrible when we were talking about reproductive rights and that it was like 12 dudes and a nun or something. Do you remember right. that? Yes. You're like, well, yes. it could be so much worse. I'm, I yeah. shouldn't be thrilled but yeah yeah so about half women but they were mostly against the era and eleanor roosevelt was against the era for the most part because of the labor issues as well um but this commission continued on for a year after she died finally wrote up what it found in 1963 and they did conclude shockingly there's widespread evidence of discrimination against women throughout the country (laughs) (laughs) like i imagine them like crawling around trying to unearth all of this stuff and it's really just like falling down on top of them from shelves instead of having to be dug up it's like the name of the report is not that hidden water is wet colon (laughs) women women endure discrimination Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. exactly um but their conclusion was basically what roosevelt's uh just belief in it all along was, which was that the Supreme Court should just rule that women were protected under the 14th Amendment. Right, right. Instead of trying to make a whole new amendment. So they didn't come out in support of the ERA still. And that's because also underlying ties that Kennedy's whole presidency had to the labor union itself. So that was their conclusion. But as we know, Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court was not apt to do that and still Mm -hmm. is not currently. Um, But that presence commission on the status of women then led to state commissions in all 50 states. And then the Labor Department started holding annual conferences in D.C. where all these state commissions would send women to talk about the women's issues. And that was the conference in 1966 that Betty Friedan was at, where they had the meeting in the hotel room Mm. that then led to the formation of the National Organization of Women. So it's all so interesting. This is why my tinfoil hat gets adjusted a little bit tighter. (laughs) Exactly. So the reason that this is, though, then goes back to the Civil Rights Act. Because the reason the women in 1966 were all pissed off and decided they needed the National Organization of Women is because at that conference, they wanted to push the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, Right. To enforce the provision in the 1964 Civil Rights Act that included sex as a protected class in employment discrimination. Right. And yet they were they kept siding with companies that were discriminating. I remember this, like the early days of the EEOC. They're like, well, that yes. sounds right, that you should fire a flight attendant for getting pregnant. That sounds good. Yeah. And right. like, yet yeah, that the commission was like, wait, what? You know, this was supposed to... It, or and I remember one time too the the EEOC said that one of the commission members had to recuse themselves because they had joined now and so they wouldn't be mm-hmm. an objective arbiter of sex discrimination even though it's like wait I joined what? this group because of rampant sex discrimination yeah. so that disqual my awareness of the problem disqualifies me from assessing the problem exactly right. 
you can't be objective what? about okay. this problem that we want to act like uh, isn't a problem. Do you think it? Yeah, the circularness. It's yeah. Right, right. right. Anyway, so <laughs> this is it's just uh, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Out of breath mm-hmm. with trying to keep mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. on the hamster wheel of this whole thing. But yep. we got to get into why sex was included in the Civil Rights Act to begin with. Because okay. there's some shit behind it. Okay. And it turns out that Alice Paul was involved. And this goes back to who in the hell even thought Alice Paul was still alive in 1964? Okay. It's like the Eleanor <laughs> Roosevelt thing where that. you think she just like lives in this Whoosh. one instance and then is gone and dead. But it yes. turns out Alice Paul was alive until 1977. What? She died in 1977. Wow. She was 92 years old when she died. Wow. Wow. So she I was do, old AF when I this was going frozen on. in my mind wearing like a white suffragist like dress that like dress buttons the up the side and the sash and like marching, yeah. you know, in 1920 yeah, or whatever. That's how I and then I picture her just like fade out. She's no longer part of the movie. But of right. course that's not the case. No, but wow. she was still okay. around. But even okay. then. So this is a story. You're gonna love it. So the National Women's Party, which was founded by Alice Paul, was actually who requested that sex be put into the Civil Rights Act because they're having all this trouble. Alice Paul had been pushing the ERA forever. It wasn't going through. And so, once again, a white woman sees that Black people might get some more rights, and they write in like, oh, no, 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 not before we get ours, once again. So the Virginia chapter requested that their representative in the House of Representatives, Howard Smith, Add this sex provision to the Employment Discrimination Act of the Clause. Now, you may be wondering, is this random that they asked this particular person to add this provision for Bill Rights Act? And the answer is, fuck no, it's not. (laughs) Because this is a whole rabbit hole I went down forever. Howard Smith, Democrat, turns out he's a real dick. He (laughs) is horrendous. This guy was born in 1883, so he's old by this time already. <laughs> this is okay. this is 19 And they were talking like 1960. Yeah. So okay. he is okay. almost 80 so to years be 80, old. Yeah. To be 80 in 1964, I always think of it like inflation of the dollar. That's like 112 yeah, today. 2020 exactly. time. You know what I mean? You're like, wow. Because like, okay, for example, the Golden Girls were supposed to have like been 40s like in their 50s. late 40s, early 50s. <laughs> yeah, and they look like 80 Which year I'm old. telling you right now, right. I watch that show. I love yeah, them. The best. Like, no, this is no knock, but I don't feel like, oh, that's my peer group I'm watching on TV. <laughs> no. When age-wise it could yeah. be, um, I feel like I'm watching like my grandmother. Right. So I think you have to add like a good 30 years when you're looking at yeah. this. Okay, so he's 80 in the 1960s, yes. which is old, yeah. old, 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 old. Um, okay. and was very well known for being a conservative Democrat. And I wrote in the ma- in the margin, "Hey Joe Manchin, wavy, <laughs> like, oh. uh, like the Joe well, Manchin this, this of is... the 60s right now." Also, like, he was in Virginia, Virginia, you Mm -hmm. said? Mm -hmm. Like, again, the North is chock-a-block full of races. Like, I don't want to say, oh, the South is bad. The North is good. Not at all. But if you say, like, white Southern Democrat, not everyone obviously fits this, but I'm immediately just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Democrats don't have, like, the parties were reversed at one point. It's like a cringe. So cringy. Very mm -hmm. cringy. Okay. So the other thing that Howard Smith was known for was that he was Mm -hmm. one of the leaders of this informal conservative coalition that brought together conservative Democrats and Republicans in the 1930s to try to defeat Roosevelt's New Deal. So this guy has mm. been like pushing the conservative mm. side of the Democratic Party oh, for decades at Very this point. Mansion-y. Okay. He also authored what was known as the Alien Registration Act of 1940. 
commonly also called the Smith Act after him, which is the rabbit hole that we've got to go down another time that I looked at for way too long. But it's basically just this fear after World War One that there were like all these immigrant communities that were going to be like communist and anarchist and fascist in the government. And so they may try to overthrow the U.S. government. So then we had to register all of them and led to this push of getting everyone registered and fingerprinted and keeping track of all of the aliens in the country, which that term, Mm -hmm. as we Mm -hmm. know now, is just horrific. But it was on all of the Mm -hmm. immigrant acts Mm -hmm. back in that time. So he authored Mm -hmm. that registration act. Um, it's, It's suffice it to say, basically, Smith was definitely xenophobic and racist, which then led to white women being added into the Civil Rights Act. Surprise, surprise. It's not a far leap. So this, so Alice Powell, like, calls up or whatever, her organization connects with Howard yeah. Smith and says, we want you to add this to Civil the Rights Act. proposed, yeah. when it was yeah, still, yeah. like, and, as And Paul and Smith okay. had been friends for decades as well. Like, they Ugh. were contemporaries. They had been friends forever. And Smith had been a supporter of the ERA for a long, long time because of his friendship Hmm. with Paul. But it was like this totally, Hmm. this is just points back to the fact that it was seen as the equal rights for white women, basically, because it was totally separate from race. He supported it wholly on the fact that he wanted white women to be, have more equality. Which was the suffrage argument to white Southern men in particular was, we will Mm -hmm. help you if you give Mm -hmm. us the right to vote, we will help strengthen white supremacy. You should let us vote for you. We will help negate these other votes that are being yep. added. And this is the exact thing, the same thing that happens in the Civil Rights Act. Because at this point in time, um, Smith was the chairman of the House Committee on Rules since 1954. And this is what controls like the flow of legislation going in and out of the House. So they can hold things in committee and keep them from being voted on. And Smith was mm-hmm. a well-known opponent of racial integration. So he used the Rules Committee to try to keep civil rights legislation from ever coming to a vote on the House floor for years and years and years. And this is who Alice and this is Alice Paul's literally in bed with buddy buddy friend for decades. Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, he was a signatory to the 1956 Southern Manifesto that opposed the desegregation of public schools (gasps) ordered by Brown v. Board of Education. Familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he signed that. And a friend described him as someone who, quote, had a real feeling of kindness toward the black people he knew, but did not respect the race, unquote. Mm. So much grossness. I mean, this just, yeah, it gives me all like the same feelings about all the people who say, but I have a black friend and then vote Uh against anything that would actually be helpful. Or who say to a black person, you're not one of them. Right. Or to a, any person of color, right. you know, like, oh, well, you're, you know, you're the exception mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. Um, also, that was a friend's that description. Was a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs <laughs> enemies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. So when the Civil Rights Act of 1957 came before the Rules Committee and Smith, Smith was quoted as saying, The Southern people have never accepted the colored race as a race of people who had equal intelligence and education and social attainments as the whole people of the South, unquote. Mm -hmm. And it says others Mm -hmm. noted him as an apologist for slavery who used the ancient Greeks and Romans (laughs) in its defense. Yeah. It's just so current. Like all of this is just still so here and present. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they, so the National Women's Party calls him so up. the national women's party this is who they are calling up to get on their side because they knew yeah. that he would be on their side it's just so gross it's just yeah. so gross okay so it does he is i kind of remember this from when we were talking about now but does he want the civil rights act to pass like is no, no, he no. trying to get he sex does, included because he wants nope. it to happen Mm-mm. he doesn't okay. want it to pass he's he tried to filibuster it um well they called him He was apparently some, like, rules wizard. They called him a legendary wizard of procedure and rules, basically for how to block shit from getting (laughs) done. I mean, he just sounds like... (laughs) Nerdiest wizard ever. Right. I mean, he sounds like the 
the you know 1960s version of uh uh oh my gosh how have i totally lost mitch yes McConnell? mitch mcconnell i was gonna say of yeah. turtleneck um <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. Um. I mean, it's it's one of these like evil superpowers that's so bureaucratic and nerdy and unsexy that it's like most people don't care to think about it. But then they you do care when someone's wielding it against you because it is actually like really important information to have yeah. to how to work the system. Yeah. And these rules, it's kind of how I feel about when you start talking about legal stuff and my eyes roll back mm-hmm. in my head. That's how oh, I feel it's about so painful. Like the the rules of. The, I mean, I'm pro having some sort of rules in place, but I it is it becomes this like game playing then where it, you lose sight of what you're actually trying to do. And then it's just like trying to work yeah. the system. And that's really frustrating. And I get why people are super cynical about government. Yeah. Oh, know? for sure. So the plan when the 1964 Civil Rights Act was going on was actually just to try to delay it. And hope that there would be like enough protest and backlash that they wouldn't ever have to bring it to the floor. Um, but then there was another senator that like used some other rule where they had, they were going to do, oh, it was called something else. Um, oh, oh, a discharge petition. That's what it was called. So they apparently, if you get a certain number of how of the House of Representatives to sign a petition, you can force something out of the rules committee if the rules committee is trying to kill it. Hmm. And so um, someone proposed that they were going to do a discharge position and that like pushed them into releasing it out to the house for the debate. So did the, the, the national women's party, they enlist Smith to add this like amendment to it or yeah. whatever you call it that they like to add yeah. this in. Did they want the civil rights act delayed? Were they trying to just like, Ride the I think they were the just trying to ride the coattails. Like that's the argument. And there's the there's an article in the New Yorker hmm. that we'll link to that I got a lot of this information from that is really great. Um, Who wrote it? Do you um, know? Yes, let me. It's very long. Let me just look back up here. It is called um, "How Women Got Into the Civil Rights Act." Um, by Lewis Menand, M-E-N-A-N-D. Mm-hmm. And this was written in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. So, and okay. it really, you should read the whole article. It is very long, but it actually goes through the entire history of the Civil Rights Act and all the players and all the mm-hmm. stuff that, like, was never taught in any sort of history class. Mm-hmm. If you did, it would take, like, weeks and weeks, just like how when we start on these episodes, we just keep, like... <laughs> going down all of these different rabbit holes and side alleys and all of that kind of stuff. So there's so many things that actually go into it, but he is talking about, you know, how it gets to this point. Then when sex is added into the categories that are protected from discrimination. So a lot of people did think that Smith added it to try to kill the bill. Although he says later in history, like trying to make himself look better, that he always like approved of it. He always wanted it to go through. Of course he did. That wasn't supposed to backfire on him, but it kind of it backfired on him. They passed it through the House with a vote of 168 to 33. And then it went on to the Senate and then became law after that. And this all is happening. I'm going to show my ignorance here, but if I remember like LBJ is president and it's partly it's it's passage is seen as like a way to honor JFK after exactly. his assassination. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is the history that it's all going on under. Um, okay. So that is how it actually got into the civil rights act is that women were just like, Hey, you're going to give, these other people, these rights and women won't have the same rights. They actually like argued if you pass the civil rights act without this provision for protection of sex, you'll be protecting black women based on their race. And you're going to leave white women out of it. This is the argument that they're making to these Southern Democrats because they know, Hey, that's worked before the exact same argument that we used when we were doing suffrage and, voting rights uh for the 19th amendment um and they bring that up in this article they talk about 
1869 when Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony had like this little riff at the American Equal Rights Association. Um, and someone rose to object and say, you know, we're not giving women suffrage and black men get to vote. And Frederick Douglass rose and said, I must say, I don't see how anyone can pretend there's the same urgency in giving the ballot to women as to the Negro. When women, because they're women, are hunted down through the cities of New York and New Orleans when they're dragged from their houses and hung Mm -hmm. upon lampposts, when their children are torn from their Mm -hmm. arms and their brains are dashed out on pavement, and when they're the objects of insult and outrage at every turn, when they're in danger of having their homes burnt down over their heads, when their children are not allowed to enter schools, then they will have the urgency to obtain the ballot equal to our own, Mm -hmm. was Frederick Douglass's Mm -hmm. report from that. And then Mm -hmm. Susan B. Anthony Mm -hmm. replies and says... If you will not, if you will not give the whole loaf of suffrage to the entire people, give it to the most intelligent first. If intelligence, Ew. justice, and morality are precedent to government, let the question of woman be brought up first, and that of Negro last. This is just the ugliness. Boo, fucking who guys? <laughs> the- it is so. It's so gross. You know, there's like this sliver of me that was sympathetic to that argument, I, not because I'm sympathetic to what they're trying to do. It's clearly gross and bad but this like i'm thinking about kimberly crenshaw and how critical race theory gets started as a legal theory to understand systemic racism like how racism can continue despite um certain acts like the civil rights act or laws you know what how it continues and a lot of it stems from like that specific theoretical tradition stems from Crenshaw's investigation of employment discrimination where black women um, were denied that they'd been discriminated against because the employer could say, well, this place hires men mm-hmm. and this place hires white women. So it, it's not sex discrimination because they have other women working here and it's not um, racial discrimination because they have black men working here. So like you don't have a case. And that's where this idea of intersectionality mm-hmm. comes from, which is to say like, well, right, because you're discriminating against this combination of things. So maybe white women are exempt and maybe black men are exempt, but black women are targeted. And so there's this part of me that thinks adding sex discrimination there potentially opens up space to address misogynoir and to look at those intersections. But I don't know the degree to which that's been how it's used. I mean, it's, it certainly sounds like that's not remotely the intention of inserting that it just sometimes makes me curious that there are some just like there are unintended negative consequences of things sometimes there's unintended positive consequences of yeah. things so i'd be curious to know if it's ever been used mm, in that way yeah well the positive way is rarely the one that's ever used, right? I know, I know. oh mm. so these are the same i mean but this is like the history of the women who are then still around in 1963 obviously susan b anthony wasn't but the younger women that were part of the movement still were and that's what's mm-hmm. happening so the national women's party that paul started in 1963 is this organization of mostly wealthy white women. A lot of them were elderly veterans um, of the suffrage movement from this article. It says mm-hmm. the chair, mm-hmm. Emma Guffey Miller, was 89. Um, mm-hmm. And the civil rights bill was a huge target of opportunity for them. So Alice Paul asked these two members of the National Women's Party to start lobbying Smith. They were from Virginia, Nina Avery and Butler Franklin. And they wrote to Smith in December asking him to add sex to the bill. There's part of Avery's letter that she wrote to another congressman, um, Jay Von Gary, where she's explaining that they want him to add sex. Although she, well, this answers your other question, I guess, before she explained she disliked the bill itself, the Civil Rights Act. um, (laughs) And hoped it would not pass anytime soon. She said... This is from her letter. Thank God for the members of Congress who are from the South and for those members from the East, North, and West who will use their brains and energies to prevent a mongrel race in the United States and who will fight for the rights of white citizens in order that discriminations against Mm -hmm. them may be stopped. Yeah, for real. I'm not out of breath. Like, my brain is bleeding. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're they're 
putting this in there, but some of them are apparently still hoping that it doesn't pass. But if it does pass, it better pass with this Just because in it. of their, right, right. Like they're, they're sort of hedging their bets. Like let's, we'll win. Our racism will win if it doesn't get passed. But if it does pass, then we'll, we'll have the, like special protections for us. It's so cynical and disgusting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but then, mm-hmm. so there's another woman who's involved with this. Her name is Martha Griffiths, and she's a congresswoman from Michigan. She's actually the person who ends up introducing the ERA for the vote in the Senate where well, it passes. So Congress. she's in Congress. Okay. Um, and mm-hmm. when Smith introduces, she's also credited for getting sex into the Civil Rights Act, even though Smith was the one who made the motion. Um so he read a letter from the constituent that wanted, who asked him to offer the amendment addressing the imbalance between men and women, which was a grave injustice. Um, there was a guy who then replied to this saying he knew all about equality for women. Another Senator, Emanuel Seller, he said he'd been married for 49 years and he usually always had the last two words in an argument, which were, quote, yes, dear. So they're just joking about things. But yes, this is what happens. You. Apparently in this hearing, just joke after joke uh, from these old ass white men who are talking about, oh, everybody who's been married knows who rules this. I mean, just blah. all sorts uh-huh, of uh-huh. sorts of sorts of grossness. <laughs> um But then Griffiths gets up as everyone's laughing and says, if there had been any necessity to have pointed out that women were a second class sex, she said, the laughter has already proven it. And so she gets up then Mm -hmm. to say that they need to add this amendment to it and that it wasn't just a joke. But this is this is where she goes with it, because Griffiths herself was a member of the National Women's Party. And she says, Mm -hmm. if you pass this bill, you are going to have white men in one bracket. You are going to try to take colored men and colored women and give them equal employment rights. And down at the bottom of the list is going to be white women with no rights at all. Oh, my God. So here's the here we go back to this whole thing, because the law they said would protect black women from employment discrimination on the account of race, Mm -hmm. but not white women. So this gets yep. that into the um, Civil Rights Act, which brings us to then how the ERA gets back on the floor when it's been in committee forever and ever and ever. Um, because sex is it. Now it's in the Civil Rights Act and still not being right. fully protected, even with the mechanisms that got started so I, that actually now clarifies why white feminists would be so super committed to the ERA because their plan didn't totally exactly. work in a way. Like the Civil Rights Act got passed, but their scheme isn't working yeah, in their favor. Yeah. The like, e- they see themselves as being yeah, on the bottom. The EEOC was formed to try to like enforce this, but they didn't actually have any like teeth behind it. They didn't, they couldn't like... There were no penalties for it. They and so and they just from the mm-hmm. beginning there was even some quote I read. Oh, I can't remember who said it, but they just said that everybody knew that sex just got thrown in there on the end, and it was never really intended to be protected, a protected class like race was, and so they didn't really have to enforce that. Was the attitude that people <laughs> at the EEOC had? So mm-hmm. that's where we're at in 1966. Two years later, when these women are at this labor commission. Um, uh, conference, and they mm-hmm. want to pressure the EEOC, but the main leadership won't let them do it, and they're not listening to them. And so they say, we need to make the National Organization mm-hmm. of Women to kind of parallel mm-hmm. what the NAACP is doing for people of color and do this for women. Right. So they become like basically this major lobbying force within a few years. Um, and that wasn't exclusively white women, because I remember Polly Murray being super crucial in those efforts, like making those connections, being super furious about the EEOC not um, attending to sex discrimination. But as a black at the time, identified black yeah. woman um, think I, I mean that I think for Polly Murray, it was an intersectional issue. Right. Very, because, very of clearly. course, like the laws were never going to mm-hmm. protect black women. 
more than they were going to protect white women. I mean, if they're not going to enforce mm -hmm. it for women, it's going to be regardless of what their color is, what black women we know just from studies of continued racism and employment opportunities and pay and all of those sorts of issues are still much further down. And that's, that's another whole thing we can get into with like the equal pay act and like the Lily Ledbetter act, all of mm -hmm. the things with equal pay. That's a whole nother episode in and of itself. Yeah. Like when you dis disaggregate it for all sorts of different ethnic and racialized groups, then white women are always out on top. Like, I think that you hear like, oh, women make 87 cents or 82 right, cents or whatever it is on the dollar. But of course that's mm -hmm. white women, right? Like that's average. And so the desegregation for women of color does not, it's not that it's much, much yep. lower. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then we get to the end of the 1960s and then early, early 1970 now is like doing all this lobbying, building its membership. And in 1970, it goes and pickets the mm -hmm. Senate and disrupts hearings. And they're actually having hearings on like lowering the voting age to 18. It's not even related to the ERA or anything with women's right, but they bust mm -hmm. in and like break up that whole hearing to basically say mm -hmm. like, this is ridiculous to be like extending these rights down to younger people when you won't even pass the ERA. Like we want a hearing on the ERA. Um, and so they got a meeting because of disrupting that. And they continued like all of these picketing and protests throughout 1970. And there was a strike. And I can't remember if we talked about this at one point, or maybe it was another strike that we were talking about that brings up these different intersectional issues. But in August of 1970, um, the now um, organized women's strike for equality on the 50th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, um, which was covered nationally by different news outlets and Time magazine. And this was in 1970. Yeah, in 1970. Right? Yeah, we did. I, we did talk about it for just a second, but let's. Yeah, I want to. Well, it was it. mainly focused, even though now as a national organization, it was mostly centered in New York because that's a lot where a lot of their organizing and their membership was at. So they had like smaller protests throughout the country. Um, that was like a few thousand people here, a few hundred people there, but it was somewhere between estimates of 20 to 50,000 that protested in New York. Um, and then they were also supposed to, besides just like striking from work, like actual employment jobs, then women who did non-paid labor were supposed to be on strike at home where they weren't like refused to do housework or cook dinner or clean the house. And it's hard to know how many people would have participated in that. Mm -hmm. But overall, this just points to the issue. I think when we talked about this that you brought up that it's mm -hmm. doing strikes like that or something that is also very middle-class white women to do because we can, because you can call in for a day off of work because you either have the time off or you can afford to do it. But women who have to work in order to feed their families and pay their bills, striking is not as mm -hmm. equal of an opportunity for them to participate in. Yeah. At the least, like a strike organized by the most vulnerable woman is one I would absolutely support, but a strike called by women that won't bear the burden of the strike doesn't feel right. Right. Like that's not being in solidarity people. Like it's not that I don't think they're inherently that as a tactic or a strategy. I always get confused about the difference there, but like going on strike itself, I think is a tool in an activist toolkit. But when people who call the strike are like well off, white women, then don't be surprised when other people are like, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to participate, yep. you know? Yep. Um, the, the news attention that was, that I read about uh, that was received for this strike, a lot of it was very troubling. Um, Time magazine covered sure. it like in a very supportive manner. Uh, but a lot of the other news outlets mm. did not um, there was a counter protest and maybe we talked about this one too. It was the national oh, celebration of womenhood. Like yeah. They like wore pink yeah, and made dedicated to and women dressing. Whatever. It. Gave blue jobs. <laughs> I don't know what they did. <laughs> oh, dressing in frilly feminine clothing, singing while doing laundry, cooking breakfast in bed for their husbands. 
Uh, um, it said other women simply watched the protest, unsure of its implications or what the protest was about. One woman in the crowd who they talked to was quoted as saying, I don't know what these women are thinking of. I love the idea of looking delectable and having men whistle at me. Um, (laughs) then a lot of the other media outlets Mm -hmm. questioned the validity of the protest. CBS News quoted a poll that found that two thirds of American women didn't feel they were oppressed. I wonder what the same poll today mm. would find. I bet it wouldn't be that mm-hmm. different. That's interesting. I bet it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, a news anchor, mm. Eric Severy, as his name, compared the feminist movement to an infectious disease and ended mm. his report of the protest claiming that the women of the movement were nothing more than a band of brawless bubbleheads. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want someone to start like a punk band called the Barless <laughs> Bubbleheads. <laughs> Doesn't it just sound like a great name? I mean, the thing is, like that two thirds number, I am really, really curious about because just one of the things we've been learning is that for a lot of indigenous women or women of color, like their experiences as women isn't necessarily like the most salient or it's salient relative to these other identities. Um, But for white women, especially white wealthy women, that's like the one axis where their life isn't great. And so that is how you would like, that is your point of experience with oppression. And so you would name that like, yes, of course, you know, not everyone for sure. We know that. Um, But I'm just wondering like for some women, um, who would hear that question would maybe hear it like as an ex like that exclusively or like that more than other things and might answer no. Yeah. yeah. Relative to other things. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just curious it would about be the an interesting poll hmm. to run. It probably has been, I don't know. Um, or, maybe or would reject be. like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, reject the label of feminism because they understand it to be white feminism and and reject that and have, don't want anything yeah. to do with it you yeah know? which is legit mm-hmm. given all of this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um there's another famous news anchor for abc howard smith that spoke out against howard, howard smith. smith yeah isn't the same, same name, name as, as the, the senator, senator but it's a different dude I'm it's a very okay, okay, but still, <laughs> yep, a, still dick. a dick. Um, okay, he denied <laughs> credibility of the women who were protesting and said there was lack of evidence for their cause. So all these women were super furious. Um, he was quoted mm-hmm. as saying on the news, "Women dominate our elections. They probably own most of the nation's capital wealth, and any man who thinks what? he and not his wife runs his family is dreaming." The same, like the jokes that were being told on the Senate floor. It's I mean, even on the the first it's two are garbage. like very, very, very easy to disprove. Right. I know. I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Like they couldn't. They couldn't get credit cards at right. this point. They a woman couldn't like. Yeah. What so are owning you most of the nation's okay. capital wealth. I'm not sure where that would come from. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. Maybe he's just talking about boobs. <laughs> Maybe that's the nation's source of wealth. I don't know. But um, surprisingly, so Nixon is president at this point in time. And he issued the proclamation because of the strike calling the day Women's Equality Day. Um, And this was also like, I mean, I guess he was um, asked by House Representative Bella Abzug, who we've talked about, too, in other Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. episodes to make to commemorate this day so nixon was out as supporting all of this kind of stuff at that time she's always it's just so surprising Mm -hmm. like how these things go back and forth as to what's a conservative issue what's a progressive issue so it was under this whole environment of the petitions by now the pressure that they were putting on congress um the protests that were happening around the country that then we go back to griffiths um now i can't remember her first name something with an m martha mm-hmm. yeah i think martha. it's martha um i was gonna say marilyn meredith no. there's a lot of martha. names <laughs> so we could be here for a while mm-hmm. martha's a strong white lady name mm-hmm. um decides that she's going to try to get a, the era on the floor for a vote in the senate a little just a teeny bit of background on martha griffiths so she was an attorney 
Um, and then she became the first uh, woman to be a judge in Michigan, mm-hmm. um, in Detroit. And then she was elected to Senate. She was in Senate for a, a while. Then she went back to private life and what didn't have anything to do with politics for a little bit. And then at the age of 82 was the first woman elected as lieutenant governor. Wow. To, Whoa. To Michigan. Huh. Um, to Michigan's lieutenant governor. So interesting. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, those white women just stay around for <laughs> fucking ever, man. They wait, wait. Speaking away. of which. So this is like now is involved in all of this. Uh, did the National mm-hmm. Women's Party stay in the mix or did they – do you know what happened to them? We can look that up. I don't. Too. Yeah, I'll have to look that okay. up and see what the National – I mean, is the National Women's Party around now? We've got to figure this know. out. Look, all right. We'll, we'll look this up okay. for the next episode mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so Griffiths wants to get it voted on um, in a session of Congress, but it's in committee Again, it's just in this whole committee thing where it's never coming out of. So she goes back and remember that thing that we talked about, the discharge um, petition that they were going to use to force the Civil Rights Act out of committee to get a vote on. Griffiths uses Mm. that to force the ERA out of committee to get a vote on. So she gets enough signatures in the House to Mm. force it out of committee so that they get a vote um, in 1971. And so mm-hmm. she introduces the ERA, but it, the first time it gets voted on, the House passes it, but then the session of Congress at that point in time ends before it can go to the Senate. So then she had to reintroduce it in the mm-hmm. next Congress, mm-hmm. congressional, um, what is it called? Session? session. Yeah. The next congressional mm-hmm. session. So there was a whole bunch of debate in the Judiciary Committee. There were a bunch of changes. But finally, it goes through and was passed by the House in October of 1971, and then the Senate approved and passed it in March of 1972. And the vote numbers are actually pretty impressive on it. So it passed the Mm -hmm. House with 354 in support, 24 against, and 51 abstaining. Hmm. That's a pretty sound margin, yeah, I would yeah, say, of passing yeah. and, it. And like clearly across party lines too. Yeah, I'm really had to interested be. about it. Have yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. And then it passed the Senate by a vote of eighty-four in favor, eight hmm. against, and seven abstaining. Hmm. So this is like not even close, a difficult not even thing to pass. Once mm-hmm. it gets out of committee and goes on, it absolutely meets the standard. And then Nixon um, signs off his approval on it, but as an amendment, it's not just a law that the Senate passes right, and then the right. president signs into law. He signed his approval on it, but then it had to go to all of the states for two thirds approval, um, with ratification. And they passed, they sent it to the states with a seven year deadline to be ratified by and all it's of the, the states. state legislatures that have to. Do that have to approve process. it. Okay. I wonder if some of the people who voted yes were like, sure, I'll vote yes. It's never going to go anywhere. Maybe somewhere. I don't want to be cynical, but yeah. who knows? Okay. So then it goes. Anyway, so, so, so this is where we're at. Nixon. Yep. And then it's going off to pass. So I think hmm. we'll stop here because getting into the next part is going to take too long for people to continue listening to this already Ooh. do you want to give us a teaser? Again. Like, I mean, so this little... is where then the social conservative really hard press goes on to keep it from getting ratified. And this Mm -hmm. is where Phyllis Schlafly comes Mm -hmm. into play. Mm -hmm. So we got to get into that whole background of her. And then there's a whole bunch of things that happen over the course of the next, you know, 40 years that then Mm -hmm. bring us to where the ERA is today because it's still going back and forth forever. So it's very interesting. Well, I can give you a little update for whatever it's worth from Wikipedia about the National Women's Party, um, which I've been (laughs) thinking. I have to say, my my daughter was doing this poster presentation, and we were looking up information for it. And I got on and I was like reading something off Wikipedia. And she goes, Mom, don't you know you're not supposed to use Wikipedia? Anybody can write anything on there. And I I was like, listen, (laughs) nine-year-old. Honestly, it's great. I totally appreciate it. I will say. It's true. It's true. You can verify some of it. I mean, yes. That's just it. I use it as like a place to start thinking about where to look. And, you know, reading like Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever, there's a lot of 
racist, sexist bullshit in there. So it's not yeah. like there's some gold standard that they were setting. I, I know. know. I should have I, given her a whole lect- lecture about like, listen, honey, <laughs> history is all about whoever's r- writing it. And most of it's bullshit. So don't think you can trust anything. Just be like, Ugh, mom. Mom. Good. Uh, I'm, okay, already, so- I'm already getting that from my four-year-old. So I need to yeah. be really careful um okay so it says the national woman's party which i always in my head thought it was women plural it's yeah. kind of weird Women's? right hmm. mm-hmm. woman's party i don't know anyway they were formed in 1916 they achieved their goal of the 19th amendment and then um fought 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 and then as of january 1st 2021 the National Women's Party has ceased operations as its own independent nonprofit and has assigned its trademark rights and other uses of the party's name to the Alice Paul Institute. The Alice Paul oh. Institute has invited three members <laughs> of NWP board of directors to join their board and in the near future will create a new committee to advise on a potential expansion of programs to the Washington, D.C. area and nationally. So That's interesting. It is. Now I hmm. now I your petty detectiveness rabbit is rubbing hole, off on me and I want to know hole. more about them. Well maybe yeah. that's like the next thing we should look at is the National Women's Party, honestly. Yeah. Now that we know its actual name. Woman's party. <laughs> Woman's party. Uh, anyway, great. Okay, so there's the dirt, man. That was like there's some stuff and there's so many other things that we do. We have to go back and look at like some of the stuff that Senator Smith had done. We got to look at the EEOC, yeah. um, the equal pay issues, all of that kind of thing. Oh, I do want to definitely do Equal Pay Act and the mm-hmm. Lily Ledbetter Act. I definitely mm-hmm. think we do too. And then today is International Women's Day. It is. Or, or maybe Woman's right. Day. Who knows? Woman's Day. Um, but again, we've been stressing this, that the best way, especially for cis, het, white women to demonstrate their investment in Women's History Month or International Women's Day is to figure out a way to show up for, to support, to send resources to trans women because there is so much bullshit happening all over the United States that is attacking trans girls and trans women, trans people in general. But I say this since it's, you know, Women's History Month, International Women's Day. Um, Don't make a bulletin board don't tip your hat to the 19th Amendment. Get yourself into real solidarity and show up for our sisters that are under attack right now. It is yeah. terrifying. Um, I'm looking at you, Texas. I'm looking at you, Iowa. I'm looking at you, Florida, with your fucking don't say gay nonsense. Like, whatever oh it gosh. is, that that is the way to celebrate this month and this day is to show up Um don't just fight for yourself. That's yeah. Don't that's the whole this. point of it. Yes. Don't like, repeat this. No. Yeah. Stop it. Stop. Yeah. And I say that to us. Like we got to show up. Stop so. writing the coattails of white supremacy and get intersectional in your and heterosexism feminism. and tra- like mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. If remember um, the quote that Jesse yeah, shared from her friend Flavia, yep. if my feminism will be intersectional or it will be bullshit. So that's yep. what we've got to do to show up turnout, etc. Um and, and in fact we should put on Instagram some links to places where people can donate money, can do what they need to do to show support. Um yeah. that's great. And of course, okay. as always, subscribe, share, like, review. and email us, review. Yeah. Let us know what we're missing, what we're um not thinking about, what you want us to look into. We love it when some people task Mandy with Petty Detective Work. And we actually have a couple of listener emails that we need to follow up on. There's just like constant bullshit happening um, that it's hard to keep up. But thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Have a good day. See you next time. Bye. Bye.